From Hong Kong, this is Mea Kulpa, the Lessons Learned in Startups podcast, based on the Postmodern Conference, where founders, investors, lawyers, and mentors share their stories about working on, with, or for startups. I'm Jeffrey Brewer, and today we talk to Karen Cotet, co-founder and CEO of AngelHub, the first SFC-licensed startup investment platform in Hong Kong, and co-founder of WHUB, a startup ecosystem builder and she started her career as a trader in banking. Welcome, Karen. Thank you very much, Jeffrey, for having me. Karen, how did you end up in startups from banking? So I started my career in, in JP Morgan, and, uh, and then after I moved to Hong Kong, and I never saw that I would become an entrepreneur. So I really became an entrepreneur out of passion, I would say. When you have an idea that you can't stop thinking about and that you really want to develop, I, I think that's you know that the right time actually to, to switch and and to go into startups. So with uh, Karen Abelin, my my co-founder and also my best friend, we had an idea about like five six years ago about you know helping startups to grow by actually showcasing not only their product and services but more their mission and their vision. And we, we discussed about it and we saw that it was really, a, you know, an amazing idea because we were really passionate about entrepreneurs. You know, you can, you can listen to them for hours and you just want to be able to help them, right? You know, like, really, it's, it's, it's just amazing. And, and that's how the idea came up. And uh, we started working on it and we launched it and, and here we are. Being passionate about startups, I can definitely uh, identify with that. At that point, it's also very hard to make money out of that because startups don't have money. How did you solve that? So we are working with uh, corporates. We are organizing hackathons, open innovation challenges. We also organized a global startup competition across 12 countries, actually just before COVID, that we executed in France, Germany, uh, Belgium, UK, Israel, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, Seoul, Indonesia, India, Korea, and, and I'm missing them. So, so we do a lot of different type of, of programs as well for corporates. And, and that's where we generate revenue, not out of the startups. What was one of the first projects what you did with WHUB? One of the first projects. So we actually, you know, we, we work, we executed the pre-accelerator program for Techstars. Uh, here in, uh, in in Hong Kong. Uh, I think that was among the first one we did. And then we organized a fintech hackathon uh, as well for one of the bank. Um, so so this type of, uh, of different type of programs. And, and then we organized our Startup Impact Summit, uh, you know, part of Start Me Up Festival uh, with over like 3,000 participants, I think, you know, last year. And, uh, and now this year it's going to be an online conference uh, on July 7 and 8. So this is really exciting. And yeah, so we do a lot of different things. I definitely understand the, the passion that you have for startups. And I also know you do a lot of recruiting for them. What was the angle there for yeah, helping startups to recruit? You know, I, I think when we started out, we we really felt that, you know, one of the pain points for startups was building a team. You're starting out, you don't have a brand, people don't know you, and you definitely need a team to scale. You know, I mean, it, it's good to have a good founding team in order just to start, to build your first MVP, but you only have 24 hours in one day, right? So how much can you do? So you really need to build a team. And it's super hard when you're just starting out and, you know, you're competing in terms of, you know, other type of recruitment platform against like KPMG, JP 
Morgan or, or this type of, of big brand and you are just, you know, a kind of a nobody. And why people will want to go and work for a startups, right? It's, it's because of, of this vision, of this mission, of, of, of the team, of, of this passion that the entrepreneur has, you know, when they are talking about their company and what they want to build. So we really wanted to put more emphasis into, into this in order to help startups to recruit. And, and we really thought that this was the first problem to solve, really to help startups to grow. Was it something that was quite clear for you from uh, the start or is, was it something you iterated into uh, in that, that direction? It was really clear from the start. I mean, we really started with, with recruitment. Uh, that was really the first part, but it was not really the only part. We really wanted to help startups to grow and to scale, uh, not only through recruitment, but also to be able to give them visibility and all the different resources they need in order to scale into different countries as well. Beside being a trader in banking, you went to learn how to code. What was the motivation for you to learn that? So, so I was an equity derivative trader at JP Morgan. So, you know, it's, it's a good fit into a big corporate, but what can you actually do on your own, right? I mean, how can you be useful in, into a, a young startup when, when you have a, a trading background, you know, not, not, not that much. Um, so when we started with Karina, we were about to hire a web developer. And I was like, listen, I did a engineering school. I studied computer science. Uh, I really loved actually coding at that time. Um, so I was like, okay, I should be able, you know, to do it. So I took a three months intensive web development course in order to learn how to build a website. And that's how I started to build WHUB. And this was so exciting because I was finally super useful for the company, really building something from scratch that actually people used. And, and also the, the good thing that when you're building it yourself, the truth is that when you start, you don't really know how you want to build it. Uh, you need to be able to iterate like all the time to, to learn, you know, for the feedback that you have from your users, uh, to develop new features, to be able to, um, to test them as well. So I think that was one of the smartest decisions actually that I took uh, to be able to do it myself in, instead of uh, hiring um, you know, a, a web developer to, to do it for us. And honestly, we didn't have the cash. I mean, we were just starting out. Yeah, you're, you heard that more often indeed that you have to do it yourself. I can totally understand that. I'm originally a mechanical engineer by education. And at that point, it also influenced my daily thinking. How does being able to code help you in your current daily activities? You know, I think when you're an engineer, um, what you learn during your engineering years of, of studying is really how do you solve problems? You know, um, you are given some set of tools and you need to use them to solve a problem, to define the problem, you know, in, in, in the right way and then to um, to be held by the right data and all these kind of things. So as, a, as an entrepreneur, what you do is you solve problems all the time. You know, and it's not a bad thing, right? You have to identify, you know, the problem and then to come up with a solution. And you need, you need it to be backed by, by data and by really irrational thinking. Because actually everything that you think is true can only be true if you back it up with data. And at the beginning, when you start, you have no data. So you put your assumption on papers and, you know, a few weeks after you go back to it and you check the data and that's the only way to grow. Learning how to code, what was the, the most challenging thing in that for you? You said you did a three months intensive course. What was the most challenging thing there? You know, first of all, you're, you're going back to school, okay? So that, that's the first step, right? You're, you're sitting like all day long into a, a room that had like no windows at all. It was just this like black class 
out of Cyberport, and I'm talking like five, six years ago, okay? Um, so this was kind of the first challenge. Um, but actually, it was just super exciting. You know, you're able to to learn something new that's like totally awesome. And and I just love the fact that you're able to build something from scratch. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm not a designer. You know, I'm not really used to actually creating that, that people are, are using. I'm, I'm really just an engineer. So to be able to build a website... And, and to have people using it is actually amazing. I mean, I just remember the first game that I built that was a tic-tac-toe, like, you know, but you could actually play it online. And, and I thought it was just fascinating. So just to be able to, to build it and ha- then to have startups, you know, to sign up and to be able to interact and then to recruit, well, it was just like really mind-blowing. And, and you can just do it with, you know, lines of code. And, and that's it. It's, it's just magic. And then you use that skill to uh, build WHUB, yep. the ecosystem uh, builder or pusher, like startup passion uh, hashtag. At what point you said to yourself, this is nice, but I'm not going the CTO route. I have my other capabilities too, and we now have to start outsourcing it or hiring. Or So I was really lucky actually, because when I started to build WHUB, uh, that's when I met Graham. Um, who was kind of my mentor. He really helped me a lot when I was coding uh, because it was my first website and there were like a lot of things that uh, I, I, I didn't know any and he helped me quite a lot. And when we decided to build Angel Hub as well, he decided to to join us. And he has like 15 years of experience, you know, as, as a developer, definitely more talented than, than, than me. So it was just great to, uh, to have him uh, on board. And he was part of the adventure almost from like day one. Just even, even before we launched, he was already helping me on, on WHUB and the website. So, so it was just amazing to, to have him on board. And the truth is that as an entrepreneur, I think it's good also to have this kind of horizontal skills. So, you know, you, you can understand tech, you understand business, you understand marketing. You need to understand all the different aspects of the business. And I think that that's where you can provide more value, um, actually, as an entrepreneur in order to grow to grow your business. Having built a ecosystem here in Hong Kong, what is the most challenging part of that? What was the most excruciating, most difficult, most painful thing that you had to do in the first few years? Um, it's definitely challenging. I mean, you know, building a website is one thing and then having people to actually go to the website is really something else. You know, you have a feeling that you you press like the button and your website is live and then suddenly you're going to have like millions of users coming to it. Okay, so that's definitely not the way it goes. So you need to go out there. You need to get yourself known. You need to go and talk to the startups. I mean, I just remember even like the, the first hundred like startups that sign up, you know, you need to go and like kind of be with them you know, to really show them the value of, of actually registering on a platform, you know, that is just starting out. So that's like super challenging. And, and at the beginning, when we started, uh, nobody was talking about tech and startups in Hong Kong. It, like nobody, you had like no media attention, you had no big conference, uh, corporates didn't care, uh, people didn't really know what it was, you had about, what, 500 startups maybe, uh, one or two events per week, uh, it, it, it was really the beginning, so you know, it was really a good timing to start, but, but also it was really challenging because people didn't really see what you were seeing and, and the whole potential of, of this ecosystem that really managed to scale exponentially. So of course, you know, it's, uh, it's hard when you start because you're challenged all the time. 
you, you need to be like super convinced of what you do. And on the other side, you need to be able to, to get the feedback. You know, am I doing it right? How should I scale? How should I grow? Who should I listen to? Uh, am I too stubborn? Or is it actually the right decision to take? It's, it's actually quite hard. So that's why it's, I think it's amazing just to be at, at least two entrepreneurs in a founding team. Doing it alone must be like really, really hard. So Karina, my co-founder, is, is not only my co-founder, but also my best friend. Um, and and somebody that I can really bounce ideas with. And I and I think that's how we managed to stay so close over the year. We have really different set of skill set. And I, I think that's super key uh, in, in order to be able to, to grow together. So we managed to go through all these type of, of challenges just because we were together and, and communication was there. Did you use a like lean startup approach by getting up assumptions and then at that point validate them? Or you just knew intuitively what, was needed no honestly uh you know at the beginning you just uh you just go put some assumptions on paper and just iterate and sometimes you're wrong and sometimes you're right and i think it's super important to be lean to back it up with with data and and also to realize that sometimes you took the wrong path you know like sometimes your assumptions were wrong you you don't think like everybody else all the time you you cannot actually guess all the time what people need and what they want, right? Uh, of course, because we're all different, right? Um, so, so yeah, we definitely took a, a lean approach in, in order to scale. And that's the best way to go. You start with a few features and, and then you iterate in order to find the right one and, and then you grow. Of course, especially uh, here in Hong Kong, you, you started 2014 with that? Yeah. When I arrived here in the beginning of 2011, it was even a more desolate place uh, when it comes to startup. There was well counted one co-working space at at that point now i think there are i don't know 80 90 I, something I like count. that probably now a little bit less with, with with the covid issues but i wouldn't say that co-working spaces are an indication of startup well-built uh, ecosystems but it, it gives some indication of that but around the, that route you probably met also a lot of people some of them very helpful some of them a little bit less helpful uh, some of them full of nice stories but not a lot of substance and vice versa how for yourself do you make a assessment of that uh, when you see people do you at that point make an evaluation for yourself to engage or not to engage or how how do you pick your people that you're going and, and build this ecosystem with because it's you're building an ecosystem with a lot of outside people, a lot of people that you're depending on, partners, uh, sponsors. How, how, how do you make an assessment of that? I think it's just like building a startup, right? We have over 500 partners worldwide. So definitely that makes a lot of people. And um, you can only, you know, back it up by data. So the thing is really to try to do things together. And that's how you see whether it fits or not. And uh, you see that there are some partners that you work better with and, and some that, that you don't. And it's it's actually okay. And it also really depends on, on what you're trying to do um, as well. Um, so I think it's really, you know, same as usual, just, you know, testing again and again and again. And, you know, when we did like the global startup competition um, in, in 12 countries, we really managed to do it just really also because thanks to our partners, because it's very difficult to execute this in 12 different cities worldwide. So thanks to all our partners. And that's how you see how you can work together and really help each other to, to grow and really to showcase the ecosystem. Um, so it's always the same, you know, you, you don't, 
you, you don't go with like your first impression on people. It's more about, okay, are we able to actually do things together? That's really what matters. Are there any at that point partnerships or hires that in hindsight now you regret? And is there a story behind that you could share? Listen, I, I don't think I, 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 I never regret a lot of things. We do make, of course, a lot of mistakes, but you learn out of it and you try not to do it again. I mean, some people are definitely fake. It's, it's true. You definitely see it. And, and learn it, you know, um, over time that actually they don't do anything. They don't deliver, but you need to test it. You need to make up your own opinion about them. And, and that, that's really the, the way to go. And sometimes it's your fault and uh, sometimes it's, um, it's not. I'm, I'm, I don't think I have really one example in, um, in, in particular, but I think, you know, it's always the same type of relationship that you have either with, you know, the people on your team, your partners, your investors, um, your co-founders, you know, you, you, you start and, and you try to make things and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but you can you can only actually say this once you've tried, and and I think that that that's the biggest learning, really. W Hub, where you started out with, is built by two female co-founders. What was at that point, especially in the beginning here here in Hong Kong, in my point of view, a lot of the startup ecosystem was male oriented. How did you see yourself playing a role promoting female founders? Uh, I also know that you're a co-founder uh, for a woman who code. How did you see yourself as a role model in that sense? So I, um, I went to an engineering school in Canada and we were like 5% of like female. So, and then after I was a trader at JP Morgan, I was the only like women in on the trading floor as a, as a trader. So let's say that I've always been into a, a male dominated environment. So I don't really care. I, I never really actually noticed it until someone really pointed out to me. So I think that's why I, I really didn't see it as, as a problem, you know, or as a potential stop for me in terms of really developing my, my company. Um, I've, I've done a lot of different kind of talk on women empowerment and, um, and especially for more like younger people as well. But I think education is not only to the younger people, but actually to like more mature people because they are the ones that are raising the kids, right? So, so if they don't believe of like their son and their daughter having equal potential, then it's kind of dead, uh, from, from the start. Um, I, I don't really see myself as a, as a role model, honestly. I don't. I um I kind of I don't really talk a lot about me being a, a woman in into this field. Uh, I think I, I really never think about it. I I really don't because I want people to talk about my company because of what we do and not because of the fact that we are two female founders. That that's really something that that I'm not keen to. I want you know, it's, it's about what we do. And I think that's the most important part. Uh, we are lucky to be in Hong Kong, you know, and to have helpers for, for the kids. And definitely that, that helps a lot. But then it's a discussion with your partner in terms of, you know, how do you want to focus? How do you want to raise your, your, your family? So that's really a different story. And it can work for both male and, and, and female, right? Um, so I, I think, you know, we need to have definitely more female funders. That's for sure. Because diversity is key. Diversity in terms of nationality, in terms of age, uh, and in terms 
terms of, of gender, but like really in terms of, of, of everything. If I can help, you know, just to, to show that, yes, it's possible to be a woman, to be in fintech, to be an engineer, to be coding as well. I, I think that's great. Uh, but I think it's because also my mom was an engineer. So I, I never thought that would be a, a problem for myself. So maybe it's because I had the, the right role model as well. I definitely agree with that. It's about what you produce and not your heritage or if you're female or male. But I have some actually funny stories. So one time when we were fundraising with Karina, I think one of our potential investors asked us if we were to choose between our kids and our company, what would we do? And honestly, that was such a stupid question. It's like, would you ask this a guy, right? I mean, it's like totally stupid. And and also, I think I remember also one time I was on a panel with Mikkel from uh, Aid Securities. I mean, so far now. He has like four kids. Okay, I have two. And of course, at the end of the panel, I got the question, oh, how do you manage, you know, working so hard and, and having two kids? And I was like, oh, you know, maybe you should ask Mikkel because he actually has like four kids. So I think it might be more challenging for him uh, than, than for myself. So, you know, you, you just need to, to, to take it with, with a smile. Because people will always ask you this question. And unfortunately, they will never ask it to a male. Um, you know, I think with the FinTech Association, we did a lot of kind of lobbying as well to have always a woman on a panel. You know, and, and I think it's because when you're used to have a lot of the usual speakers, you don't really, it's the same for everybody, right? You don't go outside your comfort zone, which is finding new speakers or, you know, trying to have more diversity because you, you stay into your inner circle. And, and I think we did a, a good job for it. And at the end, you know, the people that will stay are the people that have the skills, whether they are uh, like female or, or male. Um, so it's just giving more opportunities to more people. Yeah, I, as an organizer of a conference, I definitely understand the issues there. And I, I try, especially here when it comes to the postmodern conference, uh, first of all, I'm challenging because the Asian culture doesn't really allow sharing failures. People don't want to lose their face because they, at that point, standing on stage and saying, I, I, I failed in something or I did something wrong, let alone at that point getting female Asian founders to talk about the things that yeah the, their lessons learned so it's also as an organizer I'm I'm very aware of the challenges or especially when it comes to speakers or moderators or that kind of thing you've organized also a lot of conferences panels speakers what is for you a good way to get good content but then still have to battle the challenges of Asian culture, the challenges of female founders. Actually, I, I cannot support this with data, but uh, for me, it's very hard to get a female speaker to talk at the conference about a, uh, a lessons learned. Up until now, I've I've always, always been successful to do it, but it's it's actually the challenging part of organizing an event here in Asia. I mean, let, let's face it. Uh, there are not that many women entrepreneurs to start with. Okay, so it's it's definitely challenging. Um, I, I think there are a lot of like women network. There is a lot of support actually in, in the community. So, you know, by, by asking people, you will get some names out there. But, you know, it's it's a fact. You just have less women. So, so you know, at, at some point, it's uh, it's not about only having women, but just trying to uh, to, to get a mix and, and to do your best. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you can find any. And it's it, I think it should be also okay. 
as long as really, you know, you, you, you try. And sometimes you have a panel only with men and it can happen, you know, not for a full conference, like definitely. But, you know, same thing as, a, you know, not only having American or not only having European, but trying to get a mix. And, and that's where it comes also quite interesting. So diversity as a whole. After you're already working for a couple of years on W Hub, you as a group also decided to do Angel Hub. Where did that need came from and why you? So with W Hub, you know, we were really providing resources for startups to grow. And we all know that one resources that they need to grow is definitely funding. Um, so, so that's one part that we were not really tackling with W Hub, but we started to have a, a huge network and to have some investor coming to us and say, listen, you know, a lot of companies, you know, a lot of people, uh, do you know who is fundraising? Do you know who's good? Uh, because, you know, early stage investment is really about the people as well, much more than data, because actually you don't have a lot of data points, right? And, um, and it's always something that we had on the back of our minds. So we decided to take the, the regulated pass uh, to apply for a SFC license that, of course, everybody told it that we will never get, of course. Uh, but come on, when you start a company, you know, you always have so many people that telling you that you will never be able to do it. Just don't listen to them at some point. Um, and then we actually got the license and, and launched the platform. And I have to admit, it's I'm so proud of, of what we, we are doing, which is really, you know, providing additional capital to startups through a new source. You have VC, but you have a, a different source of capital, which is individual money, you know, high net worth individual. And it's definitely there. And I think, you know, people really want to be part of this amazing, amazing journey. They want to get inspired by, by entrepreneur. Um, and most of the time, it's just because they are not part of the community that they, they cannot know, like, you know, what are the startups that are actually fundraising? So what we do is really that we vet and we select the startups that we believe have the most potential uh, in order to put them on the platform. We invest also in these companies through our own fund, because I think it's always better not to say, like, look at this deal. We think it's good, but it's more like, okay, look at this company. You know, we believe in its potential and we are actually putting our own money into it, which makes a, a lot of difference. And um, and to find, you know, high net worth individual to co-invest with us. And, and I really think that's that's totally amazing. So far, we've done four deals and um, it's it's good also to be able to be an investor with a true entrepreneurial background. And we really don't want to be just a one point for fundraising and then it stops. It's really continuing on this mission of really helping startups to grow and helping them to grow from this fundraising point, you know, uh, for the years to come. And, and to be, you know, a key partner in order to help them to attract new customers, new users to scale and for other of their, you know, fundraising journey as well. While building the Angel Hub that you had beside obviously getting the SFC license, that you had other milestones that you set up front saying like, okay, we have to be in a certain time there. If we're not there, we're going to do something different or we're going to pivot or was it just blindfolded Go, go, go. So, you know, you, you definitely need to, to believe in it. Uh, that's, that's one thing that is sure. Um, with, with my background, actually, in investment banking and in finance, it really helped in order to, to get the license. Um, that's one thing that, that really was helpful for sure. Um, 
we really managed to get the right lawyer in order to help us in, in this process, which is really key. I was, as I was saying from, you know, from the beginning, it's, it's all about the people um, that you are working with that really makes a lot of difference. And, you know, we really found one lawyer that believed in us and really helped us to get this through. So that was one thing. Um, now we have assessed about 1,000 companies. So it's uh, it's actually quite quite a lot. As I said, we've made like four investments. I wish we could have done more, uh, but you know, COVID kind of, uh, of course, uh, Im impact like the investment landscape uh, for sure. But we're still there, um, and and now it's more about okay, how can we you know make more investment? How can we find more different type of startups? Because we are sector agnostics, and we don't focus only on on, on fintech or edutech. It's like fintech, edutech, biotech, uh, game. Uh, as well really is a different scope and and I think you know it, it's really with the same vision that we have for W Hub it's about leveraging our partners leveraging our investment committee uh, which is comprised of uh, industry experts uh, serial entrepreneurs and successful investors to help us in the due diligence and the vetting process with their you know expertise whether in technology or in different type of business model or geographic and I think that that's really how we how we grow and and I think that's really an amazing model how is a small team can you actually do so much obviously you started out at one point as a founder quite often also on this podcast i ask people like hey do you set yourself when you start out a milestone for instance did you make with your life savings a runway and did you at that point talk to your partner or uh, your significant other at that point like say hey i'm going to try this for six months eight months and if it's not going anywhere i'll cut the cord and i start finding a job again like what what was at that point for you the way to to start out like did you set yourself goals that you had significant amount of savings that you said i we, we can do this for the next 12 months runway yeah no definitely i mean when you're starting out like this you you need to put yourself stop loss and you need to set them up when you start it's like checking the data. You cannot wait the end of the month, check the data and say, oh, it's exactly what I wanted to achieve, right? You need to set your, your KPIs, your expectation from the start. And it's the same thing as being an entrepreneur. You need to set yourself in terms of, okay, when do I draw the line? When do I stop? When do I actually see that this is not working? So we, we you know, we put, your, we put ourselves some goals, some KPIs, something that we wanted to achieve as well. And of course, where, where do we draw the line? Uh, definitely, we, we do it ourselves we did it with Karina which I think is, is definitely a good thing you know how much money how much of your own money do you want to put inside knowing that you know you have a family and uh, you need to to be able also to to live so yeah we, we did and and I think up to now we really managed uh, to stay into what we have set up from from the start so it's a good thing it's a good thing, but you definitely, you, you, you need to do it. And it's not only drawing the line in terms of financials, but also in terms of your own health. Um, at some point, you know, how, how much effort, energy, time can you put into a company until, you know, some entrepreneurs just totally burn out, right? So you need to be able to to draw some lines and it's it's really key and super important. Yeah, talking about health, I, I quite often talk about the cost of doing startups and that's not only the financial cost or the, or the opportunity cost that you have because otherwise you could have worked in a job, but also one is the relationship cost and also one is mental health cost. Uh, like the mental health cost at that point, how were you able to cope with pressure how were you able to cope with things that were thrown at you that were not operational but like mentally challenging i do a lot of running 
So I put myself into running. And, uh, and then I switched into ultra trail. I did the Macleos, like 100 kilometers uh, race, like in 22 hours. Um, so that, that's really how I manage my stress uh, through sports. Uh, definitely that's one way. Uh, to do it you all need to find like you know your your own way but uh, for me it it works um definitely like sometimes you're just super exhausted sometimes it happens and you need to be able just to rest like for for 24 hours and you know just, just some time to sleep as well definitely it costs you a lot of your friends because you don't have you don't have time left all you do really is working um, you know, and, and when you have kids, you need also to spare time for your family. So, you know, at the end, it doesn't leave you a, a lot of time to, to go out and to be with your friends that are now doing so, something totally different from what you do. So sometimes they don't really understand also what you're going through, which is totally fine, right? Uh, but but de definitely there is a, a cost there in terms of the, the energy that you're putting into um, the family time that, you know, you cannot have because you're also working on weekends as well. On, on evenings, I mean, you know, you're, you're you're doing events and, and conference as well. And it's definitely like a 24 hour job. I, I think I was working less when I was a trader than actually than, than right now, because it never stops you. When you're on holidays, you work at least three, four, five hours a day anyway, right? You're always with your phone, your laptop. I mean, this technology is just everywhere. You, you never stop. So there is a cost to it. But I think as long as you're passionate about it, it's not work. You don't feel it as work. You do it because you are enjoying it. Because when you see the result, when you manage to reach these goals that you set up, it's, first of all, for sure, it's never enough. Because as soon as you've accomplished something, you're already thinking about the next milestone. And, and sometimes you need to pose and to celebrate that us entrepreneurs are not really good at doing. Let's be honest. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it costs you a lot. But, um, but what you're building, you know, that's, that's really what, what fuels you. You, you see it when you see your team, when you see even like these companies that we are investing in, you know, you're, you're really making a difference. And this is your opportunity to make a difference. It's, it's amazing, right? So yeah, there, there is a cost and you have to pay the price because you cannot have everything. But as long as you are fueled by your passion, but what you are doing and, and, and you believe in it, it's, I think it's worth it. And the day that I will wake up too tired and that I won't see why I'm doing it, then I will stop. But these days, definitely not there yet. We actually had Atin uh, recently on the podcast also. And of course, as you know, he's also a trial runner. And he said, yeah, trial running definitely learned him a lot about perseverance. But also at that point that his wife would say and could sense at him that if he wouldn't been out for a run for a couple of days his wife at that point would say like i see that you're not being out for a run like i i see it in your actions i see it in your daily interactions do you have something similar like oh yeah definitely my, my kids are just telling me the same thing you know sometimes they just look at me and they're like mom have you gone out for your run today because maybe it's time so yeah you know de definitely Definitely. And, and you need this kind of uh, me time uh, as well. So uh, you need to find a way to unleash because the pressure sometimes is just definitely too hard. So, uh, so yeah, and you need to find your own thing. Running, I feel like, is a good one. It doesn't cost you much as well 
which is quite good. Are you a podcast runner? Are you a music runner? Or are you no earplugs and just run with my own thoughts? So I, I have the same like playlist. And I can listen actually to the same song for hours, to be honest. Um, and uh, but I, I feel like after you know after some time I don't I don't hear it anymore. Uh, but but yeah, I'm definitely listening to to music, and and usually I have these like four or five songs that are just you know running over and and over again, and uh, and I really enjoy it. What kind of music is that? Um, you know, any type of power song like. Like, I don't know, Eyes of the Tiger at some point, I guess that was one. Or, you know, like this kind of this kind of thing, really, just to cheer you up and, you know, give you like this this energy booster in order to, to make it to the next mile. As a founder, you often get advice. Uh, what is advice that you often hear going around, but you actually don't agree with? So one thing that I often say is that listen to everybody, but make up your own mind. So you get advice all the time, but at the end, it's your decision and you're going to be responsible for it. So don't do it unless you're convinced. Um, there are a few people that I actually really take advice from and that I listen to. Um, but at the end, you know, it's, as I was saying, it's, it's your decision and it's, uh, it's, it's really hard, but you need to be open-minded You need to listen, you know, you need to look at the data. Uh, of course, entrepreneurs are stubborn. I am as well, definitely, I'm sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's difficult to find this, uh, this balance. It's, it's, it's not easy. But at the end, as it's your decision, you need to be comfortable with it. Otherwise, you cannot do it. And what is the most valuable advice you ever gotten from somebody? Something that you still remember clearly as day from the day you got it that it's always going to be that hard actually uh, but you'll you'll make through it what is not a secret but most people don't know about you hmm that's a very good question so people know that i'm stubborn so i think that's not a secret uh people know that i'm french as well um are you a little bit. Uh, I grew up in Japan, so that's definitely uh, one thing. Uh, I play drums to get the energy off. Like I was playing guitar, but it's it's definitely not enough action for me. <laughs> so so maybe that's uh, one neighbors. thing that people don't know. <laughs> Poor neighbors. Poor neighbors. <laughs> exactly. Is there one thing that you want people to take away from this talk? What would it be? I think one thing is that having a, an entrepreneur life is not it's not a dream. You know, people tend to make it more beautiful as it actually is. Not everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. And I think it's it's okay. You only become an entrepreneur if you're really passionate about this idea that you have, this problem that you want to solve. But the truth is that entrepreneurs are nothing without their team. So if you really want to make a difference, you don't need to be an entrepreneur. You, you can really join you know, like a tech company or, or something like that in order really to make a difference. And, and I think that's super important. You know, it's like, it's not only entrepreneurs, it's, it's a team. We would have never gone that far without our team and, and without the core people on our team that are working as much as we are and that has really committed to, to what we do. So I think that's, that's really one thing, you know, it's, um, it's not only about the entrepreneurs, It's, it's really about, about the team. Sometimes you also hear, like, it's okay to be a VP of engineering. Like, you, not everybody can be and are founder material. 
So that's indeed uh, correct and I agree with that. So I want to thank you for your valuable insights and sharing of your lessons learned in startups. For the listeners, although the rating system of podcasts is hideous, if you like the Maya Cooper series, you can rate this podcast with five stars and the motivation for the makers. I also want to thank Copy Ventures for making this series possible. This is Jeffrey Brewer and normally I would say go out and build something meaningful. But in this COVID situation, I would just say go and build something meaningful.